So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody to this Tuesday edition of Everyday Connection. I'm Rico Shields, and over here to my left, Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? I'm good, Rick. How are you doing? I'm just great. Amy's here in studio, so I can't be anything but great. (laughs) Every time she's around, I just enjoy it. Of course, I forgot to mute her. Now I've muted her so that I don't echo. Normally they echo not too much because I mute myself all the time, but she doesn't have a little switch on her cord like I do. So I I have to do it on the laptop over here thing. They won't let me have a mute button on you. And and I won't won't let you have a mute button on me because you'd use it too much. (laughs) That's not true. There are times when I'm pretty sure you should do most of the talking. Oh, well, yeah, we were and we had a good uh, last Thursday with Roger Sharma that he and I got to chatting and I just about put you to sleep. <laughs> that doesn't sound very positive. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that didn't come out exactly the way I intended. But uh Yeah, no. It was a uh, fantastic conversation. It was hypnotic. It was. It was yes. Yeah. Yeah. So not, those are the words we're looking for. Yeah. 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 Almost not boring and dull. That's no. boring and dull. Okay, I got you. <laughs> yeah, we won't say anything about the uh, seven days of work in a row that were leading up to that show. Or the eight days in a row that led up till this show. Yeah, because that has nothing to do with going to sleep or <laughs> needing to go to sleep. Yeah, not at all. Oh, Hawkeye's here. Hey, Cap. I can't always type and talk, and, but hi. So, uh, interesting fact, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the world, apparently. Apparently, the you know, somebody talked about change accelerating and stuff, and I don't, I don't know. Everybody's like, where's my stuff? Well, let's see. One that would be near and dear to your heart, um, President Aquino, down in the Philippines, uh, made a little announcement. It seems that his government, under his tutelage leadership, has, after, what is it, 40 years or 30 years, has reached a uh, peace deal framework with uh, the Muslim community in Mindanao 
for them to have a you know self-governing district and you know be free to have their own laws and be free to have free dumb Ba-dum-bum. Ba-dum-bum. um yes it's it's stunningly beautiful news i i don't um and please excuse my seeming non-enthusiasm because I am a little, little tired tonight. Um, <laughs> she's been, been working but, really hard, but this is news she's expected. Yeah, hoped if for. If I had been, but, if I had been a Filipina um, and able to vote, you know, that's that's where I would have thrown my weight behind. I did believe at the time that um, changes would come. Uh, thanks to his, we'll call it a gentle guiding hand, because um, I, I've had the pleasure to talk to some of the people within the government, and I'm not going to name any names, but um, I think that I think that the time is ripe now, not just in the Philippines, but I think all over the world for change, and. Um, Aquino is one of those people who's going to help that make that happen. Well, you know, place, and um, I know many of my American friends don't believe it, and obviously Mitt Romney doesn't. After his comments about you know Palestinians don't ever want peace, and peace is impossible with them. I think that you'll find, uh, you know, outside of a few, a very vocal, very small minority, that. The Muslims that I'm acquainted with, they simply want to be accorded the same respect that Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus even receive, which is the freedom to worship in the way that they see as fit and the freedom to, uh, you know, uh, go after spiritual enlightenment, purity, however they see that. And and they really don't want to convert the world at the tip of a sword. Yeah, there's a few, uh, but it's a very, very, very but, few. They're but isn't just there the always a few? TV. I mean, there's always a few. When, when we when we talk about when we talk about judging a large group because of the actions of a few, I mean, even even here in Quebec, and this is something that. You know, I mean, being a Canadian, I can actually relate to this situation because here in Quebec, there are a few people who would like to separate, um, you know, and there's always been a few, but a lot of people in Canada seem to assume that that means the entire province wants to separate. But when you talk to the Quebec- Quebecois, uh, you they don't all want to separate. They're proud to be French. They're proud of their heritage. They're proud to be, you know, Quebecois, but they're also proud to be Canadian. And I think that um, that's just one little example. I, we've, we've seen it repeated over and over and over again in history. Um, if we If we want to talk about bloodshed and fanaticism, you know, the Christians have done their fair share. Oh. Um, I mean, we, we can't really. really yeah, um, expert actually. <laughs> uh, 
um, at the top of the food chain as far as it, you know, as far as that goes, to be quite honest. Um, yeah. It was but, just. But that's kind of beside the beside the point. Everybody, you know, I acted up when I was in grade school, in high school. Okay, I still act up from time to time, but. Um, <laughs> but it, it but really, again, that was just a few. I mean, when the you, average Christian doesn't want to bludgeon somebody into being a child of Christ. Um, and and I think it's fair to say that that would be the same case in all religions. There's there's always going to be, maybe not always, maybe we're coming into a time where fanatics will no longer exist, but our history shows that there has always been Oh, I think fanatics might exist. I just, I just don't think they're going to be able to get traction uh, because I think that the the people, the we the people, of the area are going to stand up and go, look, that's enough of that. Um, people are convinced that this, you know, getting rid of the uh, Islamist militias in Benghazi was something staged or set up. You can't stage for a whole town to turn up with, you know, torches and machetes and stuff and run the militants out. You can't, you just can't stage that. And, you can stage to have a very small protest and photograph it in such a way to make it look like a whole lot of people. And, and I'm not on the ground over there, so I don't know what's going on. And I'm I'm, I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but I, I believe that the people are tired of the bickering and the fighting. And, and many are starting to recognize that it's a sibling rivalry. It's two brothers and sisters, you know don't want to be sexist about it, but two brothers fighting. All the children of Abraham. And uh, so, enough. It's well past the time. It's well past the time that we stopped killing each other over whose God is the right God. Um, People need to be left in peace to connect with the spirit or whatever the spirit means to them in their own way. Um, And I think that when we allow people to do that, there's going to be a whole lot more love and understanding on this planet. And I think it's time now for people to just step back and get their noses out of other people's business and take care of themselves. Certainly about that kind of business. I mean, if you want to point missiles around and do that, needs talking about. Okay, if radicals want to do this, that, and the other, that needs talking about. But how you worship, who you pray to, how you pray, what you think about the meaning of life and the universe and everything, is not a subject for political and armed debate. It just isn't. Uh, anybody tell you, you go to a bar, you don't bring up religion. Even just amongst Christians, you're liable to get a fight. So yeah. why would you want to bring it up when you know that they believe something differently? And 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 I would call on my fellow Americans and all Westerners, if you're going to criticize, if you're going to say things, blanket statements like Muslims are violent, find out from where you speak first. You want to sit there and say that their holy book is telling them to go kill the world. 
You haven't read it. I know you haven't read it because it doesn't say that. I've read it. It doesn't say that. And so, you know, it's, it's like the Israeli video that I've posted up on my wall again. The, um, it's a response video to the fellow that put up a picture on Facebook that just said, Iranians, I don't hate you and I don't want to bomb you. And hundreds, thousands of people have stepped forward, both Israeli and Iranian, to say the same thing. Say, look, don't hate you, don't even know you, don't want no war, just want to, you know, go to the movies. And I think there was um, so there's, an, interesting, an, an interesting point made in um, one of the documentaries that I was watching. And what's interesting to me is that they took they took the cameras out into um out into what in the Philippines you would call the provinces. I don't know what you would call it in in the eastern territories, but out to you know, the the where they farm and where out they the countryside. You know, yeah, out to the countryside. Um and they asked the people what they thought of the war and what they thought of of what was going on and what they thought of 9/11 and a lot of these people have never even heard of 9/11 they didn't even know what 9/11 was um I, it it really saddens me to think that you could take the actions of a few desperate people and condemn an entire race because of those actions. And we're not talking about, you know, going after one man. We're talking about thousands of people, millions, if I you mean, go back over our history, having been killed for for no other reason than than power and politics. Because it, it's not, in the end, it's not about whose God is the right God. It's about power and it's about politics. and And that's really sad because... A mother a mother over there loves her children just like I love my daughter. You know, they do what they need to do to provide food, shelter, love, and, support. And, and these extremists, whether the Taliban is what is wanted by the people in Afghanistan or not, which is up to the Afghanistani people, the Afghani people to me, but in Libya, they're, look, they just lost brothers and sisters in a uh, revolt against a man who ruled by you'll do what I say and you'll like it or I'll kill you. Why would they have risked their lives to trade that for a group of religious extremists that say you'll do what we say and you'll like it or we'll chop off your hand or kill you. We'll behead you with a sword in the city square. It's not any different, people. It's not any different. It's extremist crazies in either event. And and you just you just got to get over these blanket statements about peoples and and cultures because it's cultures we're talking about. You see, well, it's there this other race. No, there's but one race on the planet and it's the human race. We come in varying shades, 
Much like models of a car, there's lots of options, but all cars, all humans, brothers, sisters, cousins, at, 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 at worst cousins, at most distant cousins. And, and you say, well, that's just, I, I, if you went and talked to the people, you'd believe it because you'll find out that they're all just about up to the same thing you are. They're trying to figure out who the hell they are, what the hell life means, and they want to be able to go to the movies on Friday night without passing, you know, 15 soldiers, religious policemen, or otherwise carrying guns and sticks and things and lording them over you. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes it. I'm sorry. They don't. It's just no fun. And and it just doesn't. It just, it just stop and look inside of your heart for a minute, and you'll see it just doesn't make any damn sense to think that there's this whole religion that wants to destroy the West. That's goofy. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's goodness goofy. gracious. It's goofy. But, you know, that's like, you know, that the banks run everything and the governments will never do anything against them. Well, 11 of the Euro states have backed a financial transaction tax right in the in the face of the big banks that don't want it and the big Wall Street stockbrokery type things. I don't know what street they're, High Street, or uh, that's England. But I'm sure they have a street or something. But, you know, the big <laughs> financial houses, uh, they're really the only ones that were against it. No people in the street would be against it because you wouldn't hardly pay it. Even if you trade in stocks, you only pay it when you do a trade. But if you're one of these big banks that might buy and sell a particular stock 150 times in a day using a computer to eke out a few cents each time and therefore you know cause instability in the market and blah 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 blah, yeah, now they they might complain and they did and but these 11 countries stood up and did it anyway. And well, I think I think what people are going to find and this is you know the really remarkable thing about these. Um, politicians who we blame for everything. Um, they're people too, first of all. They have families and needs just like everybody else. And I'm not going to say that some of them aren't corrupt because I'm sure some of them are, but then some of the guys that are, you know, working in your garage, fixing your car are probably corrupt too. It's not the job that makes you corrupt. It's the person doing the job. But to be quite honest, you put this, good man in office and if the people don't speak out and if they don't support is he supposed to put his head on the platter to do what's right without the support of the people that's not fair so the people have to speak out and they have to tell these guys that yes we understand you're putting yourself at risk when you make these decisions but we're behind you we will re-elect you when you do the right thing we will stand behind you we will not allow them to put you in jail we will not allow them to kill you we will not allow them to take away the things that make your life good we will we will back you up people need to do that there is a lot of power the people need to stand up with their voices and and with their with their lives, people get upset when I, you know, talk about it. But sometimes, but you know, everybody gets angry at these big corporations, and they've moved something offshore, or they've done this, or they've done that to avoid taxes. But it, it, it what they've done is actually in the law, okay to do. And they, okay, so the law is goofy. 
But then again, you take those same people down to the garage. You were talking about there may be corrupt people at the garage, and 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 go look. Hey, man, I'll come over. I'll come over to your house this weekend, and I'll pay you forty bucks instead of the garage eighty bucks. And you know, well, okay, the mechanic is dodging income tax. You're dodging sales tax. And you go, yeah, 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 but I'm just a little guy. No, you're just a guy. Or gay. And it, how is it energetically different? It's not. It's it's only because it's on a larger scale that people seem to think it's more wrong. But it's not. It's not any more wrong. And to do it on a small level... We're going to take all your tax deduction loopholes away from you. Okay, well, people people get scared when they talk about that because they know in the back of their minds the places where they're shortcutting things. So I, I'm 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 not saying that you know we need to go hunt up all these individuals that are paying for something under the table because it's the only way they can make ends meet, but. You know, it's it's that whole, I guess, you know, let the one without sin be the first one to throw the stone or something like that. It The world is a reflection, sometimes a cartoonish, uh, uh, funhouse-type mirror reflection, but it is a reflection of what's going on inside. That's what the outside is, a reflection. And yes, sometimes big, cartoony, wiggly, funhouse mirrors. But, you know, sometimes the easiest way uh, we stubborn humans have for learning something is seeing a really big example of what we don't like. And yeah, eh, anyway, I think things uh, all in all are going well. uh, And the changes are, are stunning. They're things that you know, we talk about them today, and, 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 you know, yeah, I was talking about this last month. It seemed like an inevitable thing. Yeah, but five years ago, you wouldn't have been talking that way. Three years ago, you wouldn't have been talking that way. And um, and even in the in the darkest, quote-unquote, of of areas, there's a, uh, there's a lady that uh, Routers wrote about on the news, uh, Layla Hadari. Uh, she's just uh, opened a new restaurant in Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, and she's an opium addict, a recovered, recovering opium addict, however you want to put that. And all of the people that work for her in her restaurant are recovering addicts. Because in according to the Taliban, who still have a lot of influence over there, no matter what you may see in the news... Um, drug use is a weakness that says something wrong with the person right so we're not going to help with that personal weakness you straighten it out be strong buck up and so you know she helped her brother was it she's not the addict I, I take that back her brother, her I think it was brother, and uh, and watched him die, and, and there was no place he could go for help. 
And in keeping with their beliefs, she started two recovery programs, one for men and one for women. So they're separate. But she's catching a lot of flack because in this restaurant, there's women working in there as waitresses and stuff. And, you know, the Taliban considers any job that might put a woman in contact with a man that's not of her immediate family uh, without a chaperone. That's, you know, I I don't know. The rule book must be many, many pages long because it's complicated. But... (sighs) Anyway, we're going to stop talking about the Middle East and talk to Amy, I promise. She's about to fall asleep over here, and she's gone to get a towel with ice. Apparently, gets a fever every time she comes here. She's probably allergic to me. I I don't know. Lots of people are. Um, but, but this lady is standing there taking an awful lot of flack. And all she's trying to do is help people get off drugs. That's all. That's all she wants to do. And she has borrowed some $26,000 from friends, relatives, five bucks here and there over the years to run this recovery program, these two separate recovery programs. So she opened the restaurant to try to figure out a way to make the dang money to pay these people back, you know? But um, but this is one of these, you know, Muslim people from Afghanistan that folks in the West too often want to point towards and say are all evil. And sticking your neck out in front of religious authorities, borrowing $26,000, that's a lot of money in the United States, really, for somebody like me, that's a lot of money. It's a, it's a, it, it's a fortune over there. Might as well be a hundred thousand. It's a, it's just an unheard of amount of money over there, for the average person on the street. And, um, but willing to do it because there's people in pain, and they need her help. So, there's you an example of these people that, too many are willing to just write off. As excess baggage on the planet. Taint so, people. Taint so. Anyway, enough of that. We were talking about the good changes. Well, this lady running this restaurant thing is a change, right? It is, absolutely. Anyway. Absolutely, with a massive amount of courage. Oh, it's a huge Um, dose of courage. Yeah, huge dose of courage. But we know all about courage because uh, we have Epic Amy back. That's right. And she does courage really well, too. She does. She does. And, in fact, I watched a video or most of a video with her this afternoon of one of her dear friends who did a coming out video on on another very brave young lady. And uh, anyway, um, I don't know what we're going to talk. What are we going to talk about this week? (laughs) Have we talked about everything? I tell you what we can talk about. We can pass around the congratulations because Amy won Best Grandmother Day costume today. And I believe her because I've seen the photographs and she sits before me now with gray hair. Which she made with black hair spray paint and white face paint that together makes gray somehow. I don't know how they do that, but you girls do that sort of thing. 
go in bathrooms and come out and be somebody else. It's like, wow. My mom used to say it. She's like, I have to, I have to go put my face on. Yeah, my mom too. I've always found that a little odd. I can't go out in public until I put my face on. Yeah, I always get like a sort of a little image. What's that thing you're using to talk to me with? I don't <laughs> understand. Those are your lips. I... <laughs> image of a face in a jar somewhere. Some, you know, what do you put? Polydent in there? Efferdent? Clean that off? <clears throat> Think of like the, the you know the little glue that they use to stick on false teeth and stuff, and just stick that on your face and then plaster your face on over top of it. I. I, it's it's a scary thing that yes. this is the world that we allowed ourselves kids, to live we look in at for stuff a while. Kind of odd like that, we we do. We have an interesting when we're kids yeah. point. So we hear the sniffles. It's see what she's allergic to is I I'm smoke. I'm not, not allergic. I smoke I'm inside fine. my house very very heavily, and it does that to most people. <laughs> but. No. Epic sniffles. I guess. <laughs> I don't feel they're epic. You could be Ms. Sniffles because I just got to meet Mr. Snuggles. Yeah. Today. I have a new addition to my family. He got dropped off at my sister's workplace, which is Petco, because she's a dog groomer. And he was just sitting there. And she brought him home, and I came home from school. And he was sitting on the counter, and I picked him up, and he snuggled right in between my shoulder and my neck and gave me kisses and started talking to me. So me and Snuggles have a great relationship, even though we have I've only had him for less than 24 hours. But he's a little he's a little box turtle. He's cute. I was going to say, you mentioned dog groomer. We're all seeing pictures of puppies in our minds, but... Mr. Snuggles is a box turtle. Yeah. Which is box strange. Box turtle snuggle? Yeah. I, I mean, this one does. I mean, I with, think... Well, Snuggles with Amy. Yeah. Amy speaks exactly. turtle. Obviously. I speak rat and I speak turtle, obviously. But, yeah, he's um he's got a great personality and he loves to snuggle with me. And we watched... What was it? this cartoon show called Adventure Time Together, and he loved it. And he likes to play in the yard, too. And it's great, because since he's a box turtle and not a red-eared slider, he doesn't, you know, crawl away really fast, so you can put him in the yard, and he won't crawl away, like, super, super fast, where you can actually catch him. So he plays in the yard, and he does all sorts of stuff. Sooner or later, I'll have him jumping through circles and hoops and stuff. <laughs> wow. And I always thought flea circuses were a crazy concept, but, I mean, you have, you have a TV-watching turtle. Oh, yeah. Neck-snuggling, neck ear-whispering, TV-watching box turtle. Well, I mean, I've I've had, like, um, how, how many is it? Like, five rats in the past, and my first rat that I ever got... His name was Vladimir, after Vladimir the Impaler, the first Dracula, you know. And um Vlad the Rat. Yeah. And he I had him for almost four years and that's the maximum amount that he can live. And I had him jumping through hoops and finding treats underneath stuff and he would he was really, really intelligent and I've I've named all my rats since then after historical figures. 
and my recent one that I had died probably almost a year ago, and he was doing neat tricks, and he'd stay on my shoulder when I took him to Petco, and all that good stuff. (laughs) I'm just really good with animals. (laughs) Humanity has a new relationship with the animal kingdom on the horizon, I believe. Oh, yeah. Listen to her. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Duh. So, what do you want to know about me this week, guys? (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, I thought we might get you to read something, maybe. Uh, She's got... Oh, I logged her out of Facebook. I got to log her back in. That's where all her poetry is. That's why she left herself logged in. I couldn't understand that, but now I get it. See? I told you... Well, okay. Uh, I remembered now. (laughs) So, we've had music, we've had videos, um, and we've talked. We've talked some about your book, Mm -hmm. books, the finished book, and the book in progress. Yeah, the book in progress. And. I know. I know Jean wants to read that very soon. Yeah, and she's also saying that poetry would be perfect. She's having a little dog difficulty at the moment, so uh, she's she's here. She's just not here. Mm. So um, where's my button for Facebook? And then I can hit the logout button. Next time, but I can't do that. I was going to say next time that we do this, I put my laptop out on the dining room table so that you can sit at a computer, but then you'd be in there and not in here with me, and I can't have that. Mm -hmm. In here, I can see you. Even though it seems like when we talk to the radio audience that neither one of us really looks at the other much. She looks kind of down and to the left, and I look kind of down and to the left. Well, that's because I don't want it to echo. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's that. It's not too bad as long as I'm not the only one talking. And, And sadly, that happens a lot. Well, you talk a lot, Rick. It's what you're good at. Well, it's why I finally decided I'd take people's advice and go into radio. People always ask me if I was in radio because of my voice, I guess. And um, and I do talk a lot. And, okay, let's get paid to talk. I actually had somebody approach me about doing um, an audio book for them. We We decided not to work together on the project, but that was pretty cool. You'd be perfect for one of those things, doing... One of those like audio book things to read, like like a super awesome poetry thing. I don't, I don't know. Dramatic reading. And yeah. then they came in through the back door. <laughs> find like an Ed- Edgar Allan Poe book, like Telltale um, Hearts. You'd you'd be perfect for that. I was actually looking at that just the other day because I want to find a couple of pieces and read them. Um, so I can put them online at this place, uh, Amazon Creative Exchange. And um, for all of you that may be authors out there, the ACX, the Amazon Creative Exchange, is a place where people that read and people that write <coughs> get together. And people that write and people that read should get together, I think. Oh, um, no, but it's where they get together about, you know, you can get your audio book done and, and uh, uh, sometimes for a flat fee, sometimes... 
also for a just a revenue share of you know okay I mean, audiobook sales split it with your fifty fifty stuff like that and um, so it's a pretty cool site but that was one of the things I looked at was a couple of Edgar Allan Poe pieces because they're mm-hmm. in the public domain you know oh yeah so no no copyright concerns about reading it for a sample. Well, personally, Edgar Allan Poe is probably one of my favorite authors and poets because he puts so much emotion to it, and he's insane. And I happen to <laughs> like authors that are insane and like to put um, creepy emotions into their work. And, I mean, have you seen the movie that they made about him? Oh. They made a movie? Yes, they made a movie. Um and it put um all of his or some what uh, like probably like five of his uh famous books into a movie and it's actually quite um quite good. I mean, I'm not going to say it's better than books because it's never better than books, but they did quite a good job on making a movie out of all of his five books and it put a new um twist and a new uh theory on how he lived and everything and it's quite amazing because I love Edgar Allan Poe. I worship him and um that's where I get most of my inspiration from is Edgar Allan Poe. But it put a romantic twist onto it, like a like a demonic um I I wouldn't say demonic. I don't I don't <laughs> I don't know how to put it, but like a demonic cre- romance. Like a creepy romance kind of thing with um the girl that they he supposedly was supposed to marry before he died. And um I, I recommend watching it. It could be demonic romance. Demons oh, yeah. demons have romance. Well I'm by demonic demons, I'm, demons. I'm 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 the word choice. I mean by um the kind of love that they had and his state of mind that he was in um in his time period like like his insanity almost his mental state demonically i guess you yeah, put that his, into his yeah. mental state i enjoyed poe when i was young it, it, telltale heart scared the living daylights out of me when i first read it i was, <laughs> I was a little kid and uh, it's kind of scary, but you know, I was watching Dark Shadows and on TV and reading Edgar Allan Poe, and and then wondering why it was that I was having nightmares at night. Well, good, <clears throat> but it wasn't obvious to me at the time. I don't know why. I like the uh, Cask of Amontillado. Very good story. <laughs> well, most of um. Most of the poetry that I've written and most of the, like, in my books, there's, I love to have that mysterious secret meaning into it that only the intelligent people will ever understand and actually take it the way that I want. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, people, the regular people can read it and they can take their meaning into it. They usually take it into, oh, this is just a fantasy book. This is meant for entertainment, and or this is a love story. You know, the simple uh, reasonings for why somebody wrote a book, but the actual people that read it, you know, three or four times to get the actual meaning into it and actually think about it are the ones that would probably understand most of the meanings of my poetry and stuff because... 
Um, since Edgar Allan Poe liked to put a lot of secret meaning, and Shakespeare did too. I'm a really big Shakespeare fan. Um, I can read Shakespeare daily. Yeah. He um, was great. Oh, he was great. Yes, he was. I love him to death. Um, but that's mostly where I got get my inspiration from to write a secret meaning into it was, you know, Shakespeare and Edgar Allan Poe and all those, like, really crazy poetry authors. <laughs> so it's really, it's multi-layered writing. Yeah. And I think that um, any artist with their salt can appreciate that. I, I know that um, a lot of people paint things into their paintings that, I mean, I mean everybody gets something different when they look at a painting and I think the same can be said with books and with poetry. It it just depends on the reader's state of mind at the time of reading it, what you're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And if that individual happens to be in alignment with the same energy that you were in when you were writing it, then they're totally going to understand what you're saying. Oh yeah. Um, and then, you know, the guy sitting beside him might read the same piece and think like you said that it's just a romantic love story Mm -hmm. Uh, and i I think that that is the mark of of good quality writing when Mm -hmm. it can be taken on different levels by different people yeah that's that's the best form of writing that an author can do is to have multiple meanings into it because it makes it more um exciting and it makes it more adventurous and have more meaning into it and that's probably the best that you could hope for um, in writing a book is to have multiple meanings to it. And I'm actually, I, I don't think I, I mentioned that I do paint and I do draw, <laughs> but it's just a she side does. it's a side thing for me. But um, I'm actually painting a piece right now, which it's it's a little weird for me to say that I'm painting it on the back of uh, my big big mirror that's like half the size of me and I'm like 5'7 um but Alice in Wonderland is the theme of it since you know I'm obsessed with Alice in Wonderland but um imagine painting Alice in Wonderland on the backside of a looking glass oh yeah and um that's kind of the meaning of it to it was Alice in Wonderland on the back of a mirror of how you know she goes from one like the reality of something and then go into a completely different world. That's kind of how I'm portraying it. Um, but it is multiple meanings. I'm planning on painting multiple me- meanings into it. Um, like the relationship I have with my sister, I'm putting that into that too. And um, kind of like painting a life story inside of another story, which is really great. Um, since I'm so artistic, I can do that. <laughs> But that's I'm painting that piece right now, which is pretty awesome because I find it really awesome. So very, very humble too, because I'm so creative I can do that. There's yeah. there's not as much to be said for humility as society would make it out to be. <laughs> really, it doesn't serve very well in the long run. Seems. Well, it serves up to the point where you don't say to somebody, I'm a better person than you are. Oh, no. Yes, that humility, yes. But But as far as your your own value and your own worth and and this idea that you shouldn't be proud of your accomplishments, 
Where the hell did that come from? Yeah, and I don't get that? it. Do they take exchanges? Can we? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't get it. I mean, how could you? How could you look anybody in the eye and tell them, yeah, you shouldn't. You should never be proud. Be beware. Be careful of pride. Um, I'm sorry if I do something artistic and it brings somebody else joy to behold it, whether it be to read it or to see it because it's a painting or to listen to it because it's a, a, a mirror or music, a mirror. So you got me stuck on the mirror, mirror thing because I paint on mirrors too. Um, I'm actually working on a mirror right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it, but to not have that like bring you joy and make you happy. I don't understand that. Like, yeah, of course you should be proud of that. Of course you should be proud of the fact that you're artistic and creative. And it doesn't mean I'm above others because I'm artistic and creative. It means I'm proud of what I can do. I'm sure others can do some really cool shit too. Um, in fact, I've seen tons of cool shit being done around me, but I don't. How could we tell our children not to be proud of their accomplishments? I don't understand. I'll never well, understand that. That's... I've heard her say much the same thing about other artists. You know, yeah. Well, he can do that because he's cool like that. So it's not. <laughs> it's not some honor she's reserved for herself. Oh no! I mean, I think it's funny that um, when our children are young. And they come to us with stick figures and little bright yellow suns that should not be that bright. And we tell them that it's beautiful and we hang it up on our refrigerators. And then we get they get older and you start judging their work. And if they came, if I came to my mom with all the paintings and drawings that I've done and all my accomplishments that, are, that she thinks is so amazing, and if I came to her with stick figures of our family and a bright yellow sun that isn't supposed to be that bright, she'd probably tell me to go rip it up and put it in the trash. <laughs> yeah. Here we have stick figure families that have suddenly become famous on the back end of people's cars. Somebody yeah. got rich on those stick figures. Or at least made a good living. So, and, I, I think I think it's funny that we, we, we don't judge that early in time and then we start judging our judging kids by when they get older and stuff, and my my mom does that a lot. Not, not to mention telling them I, the sky isn't the sky isn't green. You can't paint the grass purple. Trees aren't pink. <laughs> what? What? I don't know. Maybe in their universe, trees are pink. Who well, cares? In, Why can't we let our kids? In mine, I always Talk about the top of trees creative mind. fluffy green cotton puff ball looking things. Turns out I need glasses. And I remember when I first put on glasses for the first time, it was the first time that I saw individual leaves without having to be right up against a tree. They really did look I, like big green puffs to me. So that's why I drew them that way. It wasn't because I was like uncap incapable of drawing a leaf. That's what they looked like to me. Big green puffs. Well, I happen to have a big pink puffy tree out outside of my house <laughs> that apparently really? is white all year until fall, and then it turns bright pink. So, for those parents out there who are telling your kids that pink trees aren't pink, well, apparently they've been to my place because 
they know. But your place, <laughs> trees, trees are pink. Sometimes be pink. Well, They're, yeah, at my place, trees are pink. And I think kids should be allowed to do that. And I wish to God that I could sit down with, I mean, Salvador, Salvador Dali is one of my, my biggest heroes artistically because I wish, I wish I could, I, I just, I don't have that in me to sit down with a blank canvas and draw something that never that I've never seen or never existed. I don't have that right now. I mean, maybe in a few years I'll discover it mm-hmm. because I'd love to be able to do that. I'm so I I I don't want to use the word envious, but I have so much respect for mm-hmm. anybody who can do that, including little children. They are so lucky that they can sit down with a box of crayons and a piece of paper and paint the world like they think it should be. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. That's such an amazing gift and an amazing talent, mm-hmm. and it should be celebrated, not yeah, not well, halted. Many a many a kindergartner's drawing that's been you know romped on by parents, and you know they've explained to the kid how much they suck are actually very close representations of a Pablo Picasso piece. So, you know, what, what, who, what? My 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 sister, um, when I, was, I sat down and was drawing with uh, my nephew, and we were doing those uh, stained glass uh, animal, uh, like the farm animals that you hang on your window and everything and then shine through. You know, I'm talking, yeah. And they go on your window and yeah. the sunshine through and they look all pretty. Well, he was painting a dog pink and orange. And she goes, no, 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 don't let him do that. He's going to think the dogs are pink and orange. I was like, Erica, we have a dog at home that is brown and tan. I think he's going to know the difference of a pink and orange dog and a brown and tan dog. So he's not going to think that the world is just pink and orange and whatever color he wants to be, just let him do it because my my nephew's imagination is so amazing and so complex for his age. And for me, it's important to let him show his creativity because he's like a son to me and I take care of him like he's a son to me. Um, but for him to show his creativity is the most important thing in a child's life is for them to be able to explore the world in that way and be able to see it in their own eyes and see it in reality. And so, I mean, I think kids know the difference and that's parents' problems with them not wanting to have their kids paint like a cow pink or like brown or something because they they, they're going to think it's that way, and they're going to think their child's going to be like, oh, and point at a cow and say that's supposed to be purple. I mean, that... I and think, where does that come from? Is and, that and, like and, a societal and, thing where parents their... think that they're going to be condemned because their child made a pink and orange yeah, dog? No idea. I mean, is is somebody going to come to you and tell you that you're lacking in your parenting skills because <laughs> the drawing on your fridge... Is pink and orange when clearly your dog is brown and tan or black and tan. I mean, I, I, I don't understand how we could have ever allowed ourselves to get to the point where you could look at, at, at the innocent creation of any child and say, no, that's not right. I, what is right and what is wrong when it comes to art? 
I mean, seriously, I we we're gonna spend millions. I don't even know what Picasso's work mm-hmm. is worth now. Give it a few more years, and we're gonna be up in the billions. I it, we're gonna give millions of dollars for a piece of Picasso art, but our dog can't be pink and orange on our fridge, and I I just can't fathom that. <laughs> I mean, we we look at pieces of art, and nowadays um, there's the recy- the recycled art that's made out of what milk jugs and stuff, and they're calling that art. And thank God for me as a child, my mom didn't tell me that you know cows weren't supposed to be purple, and I could do whatever I wanted because my mom was open about it and wanted me to show my creativity, and um. So now when I sit down and I go to draw something or I go to paint something, it's it's not how I look at it. It's not reality. It's not it's not nothing you see in the regular world because that's not what art is. Art is something that comes from your own mind and comes from what you believe in, and you put it on a canvas. And, I mean, I, I can sit there and... And don't be envious of me, Jean. I can sit there with a blank white piece of paper and do wondrous things with it if I'm bored. And paint, I can paint a dog, you know, orange and pink if I want it to be because that's pretty much what art is, is the creativeness um, and putting, like, regular thing, like, reality things and putting them into a different concept and having people's minds go, whoa, that's different, and I like it, because some people like different things, because they're so used to seeing the same old things in everyday life. And um, I, I met this I met this mom once that had this really, really creative kid. He was into music, he was in art, he did all kinds of colors with his farm animals, and he was like five years old, and... She said that she took him to the doctor, and the doctor said if you let them be that, if they're that creative, that they're gonna have they're they're gonna be bipolar. And so that's another reason I think why parents are so concerned about their kids being so creative is that they're gonna have a mental illness later on. And I don't see how that like connects with anything. <laughs> yeah, that's another one that doesn't pass the giggle test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't let them be too creative. They'll be bipolar when they grow up. What? Well, I'm really glad that nobody ever told that to J.R. Tolkien's mother, because if she had managed to convince her son that there were no such thing as elves and dwarves, where the hell would we be now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Wouldn't have been a very good book with I mean, humans and orcs. Oh, yeah, we have to throw out the orcs, too. Oh, well, see? Yeah, because they don't exist. Um, I just... I, I'm... Your child is living in a fantasy ever... land, but it's okay. We have a pill for that. Wow. It's, it's kind of like this whole ADHD thing. The first time that somebody just tried to describe it to me, ADD, we called it back then. We didn't have the H. Uh, that's supposed to make it better, I think, ADHD instead of ADD. What uh, what, what but, does the H stand for? Uh, hyperactivity. Hyper. Hyperactive. Okay, so it's it's not just it's not just attention deficit disorder now. It's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. That's correct. Yes. And that's supposed to make it better. The first time they described it to me, you know, (laughs) fidget in class. They they don't like to stay in line. They. I thought they were just describing every.
classroom I'd ever been to in my whole life as a child. We all fidgeted. None of us liked to stand in line. Some of us were better trained than others, but even the ones that were standing there being still were not liking it much, you know? And I'm sure there's somebody out there like standing in line line become a normal human trait. But you know, when did standing in line become a normal, regular human behavioral pattern? They tend to move from subject to subject. They don't pay attention. They don't stand in line well. They okay. That sounds like the description of a five-year-old to me. Not of somebody with a disorder. Please, people, just. Engage brain before engaging mouth. Please. Fascinating. But, you know. It's fascinating. It's all right, because we what have a society deems a disorder. Well, they, they they happen to find pills for everything. And if you meet, I've I've taken care of my my one niece and my three nephews um, for my whole life. And every single one of them. It's amazing to see a child's mind in the state that it's in and the new uh, generation. It's amazing how creative that they are in the world that we are in right now with all the wars going on and all the conflicts that we're having. To see a beautiful child sit there and tell you that they love their life and they love what they're doing and tell you all this nonsense and to be so creative like they are, it's amazing. And um, my my nephew is surprisingly, he's only three years old, and he has the mind of a five- or six-year-old. And hopefully that saves our world from going to shit, but you never or, know. <laughs> or as I've questioned often, where are we going and why are we in a handbasket? Oh. Boom, boom. <laughs> Let me try that again. Where are we going and why are we in a handbasket? All right. See, I chewed myself up to be able to play some of Amy's music, and that's in the A's, and the rim shot is in the R's for rim shot. That's what that's called. I, I didn't even know there was a name for that until once I looked up Pump Pump, and it was, oh, there's a name for that. Wow. Okay. Because Googling but ump bump would get you a, a good... I don't, I, don't, I don't even... I bet you do. I mean, if if if, if doctors had pills for create the... for, um, for like, down-leveling my, creat- my creativity when I was little, then I wouldn't have made the music that I am music... that I'm making right now. I wouldn't have the talents that I do have now and have the mindset that I have if they gave me pills for everything that they thought was wrong with me. And so giving children now for ADHD, um, bipolar, um, all those things because they're being creative and they're they're doing what they want to do and they're being who they are and you have to give them a pill for it, it's, it's sad and i don't i don't think that their generation is going to have much creativity when they get older because everybody thinks that they have disorders and so music isn't going to be like it was um it's not going to have meaning to it 
like it used to, and um, art's not going to be as amazing as it was back then, and it's not going to be as good as it now if you give them pills for their creativity, for them being who they are. Well, it's the most common reason that people with bipolar disorder go off their meds is because they miss the high that they naturally had without having to take anything of the manic side of it. And and, and really, frankly, I think we're giving people pills because sh- you shouldn't be that happy. You're deliriously happy. There's something <laughs> wrong with you. And so then they go from being deliriously happy to being depressed. And then we say, see... You were deliriously happy. Now you're depressed. Yeah, I mean, I've yeah, been. I've yeah, because you told me deliriously happy was no good. Yes, but it's because it's, that's not it. It's because you have bipolar. Here, take a pill. Well, I mean, I was. I've been on bipolar medicine, and I've been on depression medicine, um, and I was on that probably two years ago, and I was taking it like I was supposed to, and after. Uh, the first, like, six weeks of it, when it started, like, finally kicking in, it was, like, my my world had no meaning, and I didn't write music, and I didn't play music, I didn't play my piano, I didn't do anything, and it depressed me, and so my mom took me to the doctor to get depression medicine, because she thought I was depressed, but I was depressed because I couldn't do what I loved, because music is a huge part of my life. If music is what I live for, I wouldn't be alive without music right now. And to take away something that I love because you thought I was bipolar is well, why? <laughs> I remember I remember when I when I broke my back, um it was shortly after my parents passed away, and of course, um I was in intense pain all the time after months of walking around with a broken back and not being diagnosed. And, of course, what did the doctors give me? Their their first answer to this pain that I had was not to find out if something was wrong. It was to give me antidepressants because both my parents had passed away, so they thought that I was in a state of depression. And I was like, dude, if I'm sad because my parents passed away, I think I'm supposed to be. But... I'm pretty sure that I'm in pain because something's wrong, you know, but they they did, and I remember taking those pills, and like you said, you know, after about five to six weeks, nothing freaking mattered. No. Well, it just and... didn't matter. You get up, you get dressed, you go through them. It's really, you live your life going through the motions of faking life on, well, the, on that medication. It, yeah, I mean, I went to... Uh... One of my psychiatrists that I went to, like, a year ago when I was in school, I was having a lot of conflict because my grandma just passed away, and she was, I was really, really close to her, and so I was just going with life, and I wasn't, I wasn't playing music, because when I go through a tragic thing, I go through a thing where I don't want to do anything, and um, the teachers got concerned, so they called in a school psychiatrist to come talk to me. And we went into this, you know, the his office or whatever, and I sat there and told him what my problem was, and I sat there and told him what I wanted to talk about, and he told me, legit told me, that I was a walking zombie, and that I needed serious, serious help. I was like, what? Seriously? <laughs> and And for anybody that's ever watched... 
The Wizard of Oz. They probably don't remember it the way that people watched it in the theater, where they had not seen very many, if any, color movies. But you see that where the whole world changes from black and white to color. And with many of the people, and I'm not saying that there aren't some people that, that particularly some that have had traumatic brain injuries and things, that might not need some help, just like you you need some pain pills to get past an injury until you can rehabilitate it. But giving these people medication is is like running the Wizard of Oz backwards and taking them from a world that is in technicolor to black and white. And yeah, okay, they're not depressed anymore, but they're never happy, really. They smile and laugh, but they smile and laugh at the appropriate times, as indicated by the applause sign in society, you know. And um, they, they're not depressed anymore. They go to the bar every Friday night and drink till they puke like a good American con- consumer. Oh, but... Well, how how I put it when I was... Uh, I went through a time period where when I was pretending not to be gay and was not being who I was, I stopped being creative and everything. I, I put it in my, I wrote it down, you know, every day of how I felt because that's how I explained my feelings. I put it as I was wearing a mask in school and in public and in front of my family. And I was smiling. I was happy as they, they thought I was happy um and putting this whole show on that's that's how I looked at it cuz you know I'm a theater kid so I'm putting on a play every day of my life but behind closed doors I was crying myself to sleep I was thinking about suicide I was doing self harm um I was doing drugs I was drinking um and I wasn't sober a day of my life for 2 years and I put it as I was wearing a mask for everybody else. And inside it wasn't, that's not how I felt. Because nobody sat there and asked me if I was okay because they thought everything was okay. And they didn't see everything that I was going through inside on the outside. And it's like a lot of people wear masks to cover up you know, their unhappy marriages, their social life, the problems that they're going through, they just put on a mask for the whole world to see. And that's where most suicide comes from, is that people don't sit down and ask someone um, who has had a shitty day, who they can obviously see had a shitty day, and they don't sit there and ask them if they're okay. And so they go home and they end up dying because nobody cared enough to sit there and ask them if they were okay. And 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 it's really it's really sad, but I think now with how many support groups and everything that are out there, I think that's why I mean suicide has dropped a little bit, I think, because um a lot of people are now realizing that um you need to sit down and ask somebody if they're okay. Because if you ask somebody that if they're okay, that they're going to sit there and spill their guts to you because you're the only person that's ever done that. 
you know. I think and I sometimes think you have to go one step. recognizing the value of emotion. Um, yeah. We're coming back to that that space and time where we can honor our emotions and we can be okay with it. I mean, you know, going back to going back to my own experience, well, my parents died of natural causes in two different hospitals a day and a half apart in two different cities. I think that's a legitimate reason to be a little bit upset. Um, and for any doctor to, to hear, take these pills, it'll make you feel better. Um, no, I need to try it out and honor the fact that, you know, I've just been through this traumatic experience. I need to take the time to be angry, to be, you know, upset, to feel the loss so that then I can heal. But when you numb the emotion and you numb the pain, you never really heal from the trauma because you don't really face it. And I think that's a really scary aspect of some of these people who get medicated. Now, I'm not saying that depression in and of itself is not a legitimate disorder. It certainly is. Um, and, I, I, you know, it, it's it's a horrible life yeah, we're not changing we're not talking down disorder. someone who has depression. We're talking down an no. industry that labels everyone as having a disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the people who are suffering from depression need to be treated for for the illness absolutely and they need to be respected as having an illness and that's another thing that society seems to have gapped on for a really long time. It's like the guy with cancer can't can have, you know, months off of work and still have his job back if he manages to survive. But the person with depression has to get back to to work within a couple of weeks or else, you know, it's a legitimate disorder and it needs to be recognized and it needs to be treated properly. But on the other end of that, there are a lot of issues out there that people have that are being misdiagnosed. And I think that's a huge problem. I mean, doctors need to take this this whole idea of doctors rushing. I don't know how it is in the States because you guys pay for your medical care, so I don't know how much time you're allotted, but you get rushed in to the doctor here in Canada, rushed in and rushed the hell out. I mean, you get you get like five, ten minutes with your doctor. How can your doctor know anything valid about your situation if you only have five or ten minutes to talk? No, they can't. It, it, they can't. There, there really is something to be said for the old, quote unquote, country doctor, where there was a little town and there was one doctor. He knew everybody. He knew everything you'd ever did. So, you'd come into his office and he'd say, "How are you?" And you'd say, "Fine." And he'd look at you and say, "Bullshit. What's really going on?" Because he knew. And but doctors these days don't, and and they don't dig. Uh, my first wife, uh, bless her heart, had, before I met her, been in a automobile accident. Uh, she was in the passenger seat of a car that was struck on the passenger side by a fire engine moving at full blast. Didn't slow down for the intersection or anything. Just blasted right through and plowed right into the door next to her in a small car. 
Um, they had to have the jaws of life to get her out, some four hours to get her pried out of this tin can. And um, she had a head injury, traumatic head injury. And um, so they patched her up at the hospital. And, of course, they said, you need to follow up with a neurologist. And she didn't because her family couldn't pay for it. And so after a while, she couldn't, she, she just couldn't sleep, and she wanted to cry all the time. So her mom took her to a psychiatrist, and she told the psychiatrist what was going on, and he said, okay. And he put her on lithium and Prozac. Back then, Prozac was all they had. And, um, hold on. There you go. Um, it's okay. You're muted now. <laughs> it was ice crunching. Um, but... Lithium is toxic. When they give it to you, they have to see you every six months to test your liver function, make sure they haven't killed you with it. Um, and at the time, Prozac was brand new. They didn't know anything about it really much, and except how they had designed it. Uh, but anyway, she went to see him again uh, about three months later, and he asked her, Are you sleeping? She said, Yep. Are you crying all the time? She said, nope. He said, okay. And that had been like five, six years, eight years. I don't know. It had been a very long time, many years. Um, and through all those years, all he had ever done was see her for a liver test. He had never once again really asked her if she was okay. And But she would go in and have the lab test done without seeing the doctor, and then she would go back, and she would see him for five minutes for him to say, well, I've tested, and all your test results look good. You feeling okay? Okay, good. See you later. Bye. And write her another, you know, six months of scripts of lithium and Prozac. That's ridiculous. And uh, people, I don't even have them anymore, but my second wife saw a video of Nikki and I, um, we were going to move into first house together, and but the deal with the rental company was we had to do the cleanup and the fix-up. And the and so we filmed it with a video camera, silly people that we are. And um, they said, my God, she's a zombie. And you kind of were too. And I kind of was. I, I You know, I made the adjustment. And, um, but, you know, she finally told me one time, that she didn't want to take pills the rest of her life. She didn't think she was sick and um, and broken. And But if it's going to have to go on like this, I'm not going to do it. In other words, she was suicidal. And I, of course, was a big fan of hearing what I was hearing. So I took her to a neurologist here in Houston that specializes. Almost all he does is take cases of people that had a traumatic brain injury with no follow-up, but that were then put on psychiatric drugs. And about 90% of them, he gets them off the psychiatric drugs because they had a brain injury. does things when you bruise your brain. You know? You sprain your knee, you can't walk for a little while. You bruise your brain, things are a little goofy for a little while. It's not a reason to give somebody a lifetime of medication. But that is the thing that goes on with health care. Even down here where we pay for it, uh, unless you, most of the 
the really hot doctors down in the med center, you got to know somebody. You can't just call up and get an appointment. doesn't matter how much money you got. And um, uh, so it's a, it's a, it is in, in ways a broken system. And it's not, and it's the system, it's not the people. Every doctor I've ever met went into medicine because they wanted to help people. A few plastic surgeons went in for money, but the rest of them went in because they wanted to help people. And there's just not enough you know. of them. And they're, they're, I mean, you know, people, people say that the doctor, you know, the, or they blame the hospitals if there's a mistake made or, um, you know, something, something goes wrong. Well, first of all, these are human beings. Second of all, they put in a ridiculous amount of all hours, doctors and nurses, and emerge anybody in emergency services, the hours that they work. I mean, you wouldn't want your cab driver working that amount of hours and then driving you from your hotel to the airport because you'd be afraid that he would crash the car. Yet, fact, truck drivers are prevented from working that many hours straight. Absolutely. Yet nurses and doctors are expected to do it. In fact, they're put through it in medical school to condition them so that they can. We do the same thing with our military. We condition them so that they can work under exhaustion, you know, in, in a state of exhaustion, and we give them guns. Yeah. Yet we don't want our tuck, truck drivers or our delivery men or our cab drivers or our bus drivers functioning under those same conditions. I, I think we need to reevaluate our priorities. Yeah, we need more doctors, absolutely. And and yes, some people do abuse the system. Um, you know, you certainly don't need to go to the doctor because you have a head cold. It's semi ridiculous. Um, some doctors have abused the system as far as you know, giving drugs out for no other reason than their patient complained of a headache. I'm pretty sure you don't need narcotics for a headache, but Overall, like Rick said, these they're, they're ordinary people who went into that that particular line of work not for the glory of it. There's no glory in training to be a physician. It is long, painful grueling. hours. It's grueling. And a lifetime, in many cases, of debt, Regardless of what people seem to think, medical school is excruciatingly expensive and it takes some of these guys half their life, if not their whole life, to actually pay those debts off. They do it because they care and yet they're overworked and there's not enough of them. And then we complain if something goes wrong. Well, again, it, it falls to the system. The system needs to be rethought. Yeah, when when Rework. you get to recognize restructured in a truck driver that pushing someone that many hours is not safe and healthy, but you can't see it in your own medical professionals, and and you get them in there, you know, and they're pushing the other ones, and and people drop out of medical programs because they can't do without sleep for days on end and still function. Well. Yeah, we've kind of intended to sleep every now and again as humans. It's one of those things you've got to do. Going to be in these spacesuits for. Why should they have to? Why should they have to function for hours on end? Are you telling me that? Okay, I can understand. In rare cases, I had a a stepmother who had a thirteen-hour surgery. 
Okay, I can understand that. But there's such a thing as a surgical team. I do not think in, the, in today's day and age we need to have any doctor who's on call for a 24-hour period. There or, should be enough people in that bloody hospital to be able to relieve those people. If they're all properly trained, why does he have to be there that long? Or that a resident a resident in the emergency department that has to make snap decisions. I mean, like snap decisions on very little information. And if they get it wrong, they lose the patient. But sometimes three days. No sleep, except, you know, if they catch a catnap here and there. Well, my my mom has been a nurse. My mom and my dad have been nurses for over 21 years. And my mom worked extreme, extreme hours, even though she had two kids at home to take care of. Um, she, I would get up from school, and she'd still be at work. And when I got home from school, she'd be gone from work. And... Um, I barely got to see my mom when she was working extreme hours because the full-time hours in a hospital are extremely, like, overrated. And from the condition that my mom is in right now with um, her health problems, um, some of them just in her head, <laughs> but um, she does have a lot of problems because she got overworked as a nurse all those years in the hospitals and in the home care because she sat there and gave her all, and now she has all kinds of like physical and mental things. And she, she, she told me once um, about a doctor that she worked with that worked more hours than her, and he barely got any sleep, a lot of the doctors in the ERs use a lot of drugs to keep themselves awake. Um, <clears throat> and so having doctors on um, heroin and all those drugs to keep you awake and working on you to do a heart transplant, does that sound very safe? I I don't think so. <laughs> Um, it's a completely illogical system. Completely it illogical. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But we're we're more than willing to take them to court if they fuck up. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we'll sue their ass, no problem. But we keep them at work but, for hours and hours at a time. Exactly, and and you know it. Wow, you know the really amazing part is is that the people who clean the hospital. They have structured shifts. Structured time mm-hmm. off, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I know time off. EMT and ambulance drivers that they work a 24-hour shift, and that is tough. But then they have two days off, and then they work another 24-hour shift. And they do have I beds at the firehouse and stuff. And that's fine, but I, but, don't, I don't want an ambulance driver who's been up for 24 hours driving but, my ambulance. But I'm, I'm saying, I, after that 24 hours, they have two days off, and the doctors, in the, particularly the residents and the interns, they don't get that. They don't get those two days off to recover. And but it's also been scientifically proven that you can't catch up on your sleep. That's the thing yeah, no, about sleep deprivation. They've actually tested sleep deprivation, and you cannot catch up on sleep that you have missed. The body needs to take a certain amount of breaks 
during a certain time period or it will begin to have negative side effects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw interns uh, when I worked at the hospital. I was uh, once upon a time a pre-med hopeful and uh, then I changed my priorities in life. But I worked at a hospital uh, one summer in a student program and I saw interns that would come in in the morning and they were working a rotation. They were just on during the day, and then they would get held over till late at night because they would get asked to stay late. They they did it to me on numerous occasions, and I was a high school kid working for the summer. Um, but they would they would they would come in in the morning and 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 go lay down in a in a corner in a in a bed, and one of the other interns would hook them up with a with an IV and some high flow oxygen to park them back up so they could go back to work. Well, yeah, that that then morphs into amphetamines and whatever else, you know. And, and how can we expect that of any human being? It's it's like how how it's can wrong we headed. It's just wrong-headed. And like I'm sorry, but in order for you to fix my body, I want you to abuse yours for years. Yeah. Yeah, so this is And I'm okay with that. Health. As long as I'm fine at the end of the day. It's just like going to see a psychiatrist. they got the highest suicide rate around, psychiatrists. Yeah, so I'm going to go talk to them about my mental health. Well, I don't think so. But it it's, it's a system that's broken. It's a system that's not working properly. So we need to change the system. It's not the people. I'm not saying I'm not denying that there may not be a few people in strange places that you know take glee off of profiting off of other people's harm, but you know this this business in the uh, with the interns has practically become like fraternity hazing. I worked ten days straight. It's like the I went to school barefoot uphill in the snow. You know, it, 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 it's they made me do it. You're going to do it, or you're not going to get to the good stuff. It, it's it, it's wow, you know. I think about Hippocrates and the Hippocratic oath that they make everybody take about first do no harm and blah blah blah. He, he, the way they treat interns these days, he would freak out on them. I'm, I, I assure you, he would, because the entire medical fraternity, as he saw it at the time, they're they're num- item number one: first do no harm, and that's doing harm to yourself, so you can't be a doctor. Out. That's that's just the way he would see it, you know. But we've lost sight of a lot of really common sense, conceptual things that these these kids have more conceptual minds than our linear brains. They they really do, and uh, and it's time that we you know listen to what they have to say because. They're able to sit back a little bit and look at stuff and go, look, this is just screwy, people. What what the hell? But instead, we hammer on them until they get done with college and, and, and fit that little square peg into the round hole. And by then, they you know, are pissed off with everybody else and, and, and are taking pills or drinking or smoking or some of all of the above to cope with life. Life's not supposed to be coping. It's supposed to be thriving. It's 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 not coping. 
It shouldn't be coping. And when to live as a quote-unquote productive and successful member of society, some 60% of people have to have psychiatric drugs to be able to put up with that life. Hey, maybe it's the lifestyle and the life that we're making people live that we really need to look at and let people have that everyday connection again because it cures a lot of ills just to spend some time with yourself and um, well for the grown-ups out there that you know have settled into their life um, take a deep breath see what you really think you know if every Monday sucks because you have to go back to work. What's that? Your life's a bunch of Mondays. <laughs> Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but I mean, you know. So, okay, what you're saying is your life sucks. No, no, I have a great wife and great kids. Okay, well, enjoy your wife and kids, would you? And for just a little more, you know. And quit doing something that you hate so that you can pay the loans off for the education that sucked, that you hated, that was all about a job that you don't like. And why do you... My bad. No, no. Bless you. Yeah, I do. I have a little squeak at the end. But really, just think about it. You go and do this job that makes you suffer so that you can pay the bills so that you can get a place to live and sleep, so that you can go do this thing you hate some more. Once upon a time, those are the people that got locked up in crazy houses. Mm-hmm. Well, Let's see. You're going you're gonna to do something you hate in order to keep doing that thing you hate. Well, I, why don't you just quit? You know, i got a headache, Doc. Well, why don't you quit banging your head on the wall? Oh, no, no, no. That's that's too much. Don't you have a pill? You know, because there's many a doctor that finds that, too, in the clinic, you know. Mom brings in the kid with a cold and or the flu, even. It's pretty sick, you know. It's the flu. But it's the flu. It doesn't. We don't have pills for that. Antibiotics don't do nothing for the flu. Nothing for the flu. But these mothers demand it, you know. And if they're not, I want to see another doctor. And, you know. And after weeks of that on end, without enough sleep, pretty soon you just start writing antibiotics for everybody with a sniffle. Geez, I remember when I was a kid, I had the flu. Here's a bucket, and here's some water. You'll feel better in a couple days. Yeah, it sucks today, but... That was it, you know, I mean... My My throat, every time I was in there with a sore throat, sniffles, fever... He would swab the back of my throat and run a culture. And if something grew on the culture that was able to be taken out by antibiotics, which was also tested right there in the culture dish, he knew which antibiotic to give me and why. And he would phone it in and we would go get it. And, you know, that that meant I had to wait to see whether I was going to get antibiotics overnight. 
Well, no, I had to wait to see whether I needed them overnight. It, it's and now we have all these resistant germs. Anyway, I, I, I go on and on about. We could go on and on. That about is a that. whole another topic for a whole another show. <laughs> but we have we have a lot of people that are standing up, and not just young people. Some a few of us old farts too that are standing up and saying, look, this is goofy, and let's cut it out and see how that works. Well, the, you know, my mom worked really, really hard as a nurse for a while, and when I was around seven or eight years old, we ended up moving to uh, New Mexico. Um, And we did it suddenly. We didn't have any plans for it. She just up and went because my mom, like, she, quote-unquote, gypsy. And travel traveling runs in our blood. Well, we moved up to um, New Mexico, and it was like she was a whole other person. She used to be violent and was doing, you know, pain pills and drinking a lot and was really depressed and then we got into a whole new environment where it was just nature and us and um I think that's when she kind of took a deep breath and um when we made our first stop in New Mexico which I think was right before we went to our new house which was in Santa Fe um, which is a very, very, very beautiful place. Um, and driving there was a, an amazing experience. Um, it was like she she found herself again. And it's, it's rare for my mom to do that um, because she has so much going on in her life that stresses her out and everything. Um, and she hasn't been that way for a while. But when we were there, um, she did find her inner peace. And she found her spiritual life again uh, to where we were, we meditated as a family. And uh, we we kind of just, we were intertwined with each other again. And um, with all the spiritual stuff with, you know, in the Native Americans, um, it was amazing because I got to see uh, a Native American dance uh, to make snow. Um, I got to see um, a lot of their traditions and how Native Americans worked because I did live on a reservation. Um, And I did have an Indian uh, Native American uh, best friend. And their family was so open and so spiritual. And it it was such an amazing experience to be able to share that with someone that's it's in their blood to be spiritual and to have inner peace and to not worry about um a care in the world what other people think and it was it was great um and then we get back to the city <laughs> um and we moved back uh we moved into a house in Tyler, Texas and it was like my mom was just not there <laughs> gone again and um, she's been gone for a while, but um, well, there's people that they used to. Uh, I went to an allergy clinic a lot when I was a kid, and I know we're pulling over time a little bit, folks. Appreciate you hanging with us. Soapboxes came out, and I, I talk too much when that happens. But um, they used to send people to Arizona 
where different stuff was blooming so that their allergies had quit. And, well, you know, it's possible that folks like Amy's mom need to go to Arizona so that their allergies to big cities and stress will quit. And, and you know, find what makes you happy and where makes you happy and do that. Harry S. Uh, Truman said, you want to give advice to your kids? Find out what they want and then advise them to do it. It was good advice then. It's good advice now. And it's good advice to give yourself. That doesn't mean I'm not telling anybody to go quit their job tomorrow and hitchhike to Santa Fe, New Mexico, okay? You've got to honor your belief systems and make that transition however fast you're comfortable with making it. But, but spend five more minutes tomorrow on something you love than you spent on it today. Do, do what you can of what you love, and it will get bigger. And you will find many a pleasant thing. Speaking of finding pleasant things and neat stuff, we have uh, Dr. Suzanne Carroll will be with us on Thursday. Um, or Dr. Suzanne Lai, Lee, um, as she's had sort of two names, two gnome diplomas. One is a uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, and the other is a spiritualist, and now she's willing to let people know that both are each other. Um, that will be with us on Thursday. On Tuesday next, we have the guys from Portal to Ascension going to come talk about Cosmic Reunion 2012. Big deal they're having. Uh, Bashar is going to be there. Uh, dozens of speakers. Big celebration they're having. They're going to come tell us all about it. And I love celebrations, so that's going to be fun, too. Eh? Absolutely. So everybody send restful thoughts to Jean. You do sound better, so. Jean's going back to bed. Yes. Well, to my couch. Couch. Good. <laughs> and um, so everybody else, well, go well, to your I couch. Well, I to fold your heart and not drive yourself into the ground to try to make the money. I just came off an eight-day run at work. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Well, I do, do as I say. Do you remember that from when you were a kid? Right, yeah. 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 Don't don't do what I do. Do what I do what I say. Do what I tell you. Why? Well, because I tell you to. Because I said so. I never thought that was a very good reason. But you know, I was a problem child that way. Um, and I'm, also, I'll just mention tomorrow evening at uh, ten thirty Eastern PM is the weekly uh, meeting for uh, Elohim and the Council, Veronica Torres, and she is for a limited time doing those free on live stream. So. Soak that up while you can get at it, if it resonates for you, and join us on Thursday. But until then, stay connected. Good night, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us again, Amy. <laughs> See, I almost forgot the thanks again. Going to bed. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everyday connection think you might miss an episode no problem subscribe to our show on itunes by searching for everyday connection radio subscriptions are free just like your everyday connection
to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.